It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Tony Evans of the Evening Standard and Tom Hopkinson of the Sunday Mirror. The men's season ends in anticlimax. The Women's World Cup begins with a promising England win. Football, you see, never sleeps, unlike us. This is our last show for a couple of weeks, so I want to throw it open to your questions. But first, a tale of two England teams. Which was the more impressive, Tony? Well, I don't think it could be less impressive than the men's team. So I think I think I think the girls were by far. I mean, although to be fair, they didn't play that well. Um, you would have thought they would have been um, they, they would have been much better than Scotland. But they got off to a win, and that's a good start. I mean, I was impressed by um, by white by bronze. They, they worked very well down the right, and um, and obviously Nikita Paris is you know uh, is a good player. But I think they'll get better. I think they'll get better. I mean, they've got um, Japan and Argentina. I think they'll roll over Argentina. Japan are a good side and be a test. But I think they've got a fair chance to go forward. Mm, it's quite interesting, you know, record TV audience for that game, Tom. I think it would have impressed a lot of first-time viewers. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the first time I've watched a, a women's game of football, but it's the first one I've watched for a long time. And mm. I, I heard uh, uh, the Arsenal women's team manager talking on the documentary you did, Mike, uh, about how important it is. You know, sometimes mm. they only get 90 minutes to impress a new audience, whereas men's football you might keep tuning in to see how it goes. And, and I thought he was absolutely right, because for me, when I have watched it in the past, I found it a little bit slow. And, you know, on top of watching all the football we have to watch for our day jobs, mm. uh, you know, it wasn't something that really drew me in. But I, I watched uh, a lot of the game, the, the Scotland game. I was very impressed with uh, with the speed of it now. It's come on in leaps and bounds in the last couple of years. And uh, the movement and the passing, you know, I thought Jill Scott looked excellent in yeah. midfield as well. Um, so yeah, very impressed with it, and 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 uh, it will it will make me watch more of the the women's World Cup tournament uh, for sure. Um, I thought for sixty minutes they looked they looked very good, didn't they, England? Mm. And then took their foot off the ball, which uh, which obviously Phil Neville wasn't very happy about. But um, yeah, so a, a positive start um, as. as Tony knows all too well in recent weeks as well. It doesn't matter how you play as long as you get the victory yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's all that matters. But as, as for the men, um, you know, look, it, it was a disappointing end, wasn't it, after getting out of the, a group that involved Spain and Croatia and, and doing so brilliantly on the back of last year's World Cup to, uh, to get to the Nations League finals. But I think rather than dwelling too much on, on what we saw in the game against, certainly against Switzerland, but also against Holland when, but for a toe, 
England would have probably won the game. Um, I think you have to look at the, the last sort of 14, 15 months as a whole and consider the progress, consider the fact that there are now 20,000 supporters wanting to follow England abroad. I know, look, Portugal in this time of year is, is quite attractive proposition anyway, proposition anyway but uh, still the majority of them went there and, and behaved themselves and, and that's a, a fantastic thing. So I, th I think a nod to the improvement over the last year or so. I, I, I think England, the, the men have got a lot to be positive about. I mean, you know, there's a lot of good young players. We saw some of the mistakes. Um, and I've always wondered whether as good as Southgate is at creating the environment and getting them together and getting them to all believe. And I was talking to um, Marcus Rashford a couple of weeks ago and he was sort of raving about that, you know, a young player coming in, how comfortable they feel and, you know, all this weight of the shirt mm. has sort of disappeared. But I've always wondered whether he has the tactical acumen to take them on as they, you know, as they, they develop and grow. Um, and, you know, sort of, I, I, you know, he talked about it takes bravery to play the way they play coming out playing out from the back and I'm thinking that ain't bravery that's stupidity <laughs> you know I mean there's a point where like you know it's a uh, you know oh yeah I'm just going to jump off this 30 foot wall because I'm brave no no don't do it you'll break both your legs so I mean I think they've got to be more realistic about what they do yeah. matter of attitude though isn't it Tom because you know you look at Alexander-Arnold, who never have a, has a bad game, it almost seems now these days. He is one of those young players who's just got in there and, you know, they say greatness announces itself quite quietly and he's done that and built on it and he's been terrific. And other people will follow with him, won't they? Yeah, uh, you'd hope so. And, and they've got this. I mean, I've watched the, the 21s quite a lot in, in the last two or three years and there is this real belief because of the success they've enjoyed at the age group level mm. um, and, and not just the success but the, the quality of player because there really are some mm. fantastic young players coming through but they, they're coming through with this belief and this confidence in themselves and I, I actually I'm going to sound middle-aged now which uh, obviously sadly I am <laughs> um, but you look at a, a lot of the young young lads and, and girls coming through in uh, even in our profession and, and there's there's a way of talking to people who are more experienced and, and have been around longer that's very different to the way that I think maybe my generation, those of us in our 40s, would have done when we were first coming onto the scene. And I think that's not a criticism, it's just an observation that, you know, millennials behave differently mm. to the way we did. And I think there's a belief that that whole generation seems to share that is, is fantastic for football because yeah. the, the confidence yeah. and then that fine line between arrogance and confidence, you know, which which you've got to have as a footballer. But what struck me important. But what struck me speaking to Jaden Sancho was that he radiated the enthusiasm of the boy. Mm. You know, he talked about you know out of season, going back to South London, playing in the cages, <laughs> showing his yeah. skills, megging people, all that stuff. And when he talked about that. There was a huge smile on his face, and you thought, ah, oh, right, oh, this boy might be worth 100 million, mm. but he's still only 19. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the, the people having fun playing football, and it's, yeah, uh, thought, yeah. yeah, you know, it's uh, and, and 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 it really come over, uh, you know, uh, Jaden come over brilliantly in the uh, in the documentary, which I advise everyone to watch, by the way. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, so I, 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 you know, so I've dealt uh, I've dealt with Trent, and he's the same. You know, he's he just he just loves it. You know, it's uh, I, I was with him, um, and it was last year, and he was talking about. Um, because he lives in West Derby, and that's the route when you know the open top buses always went. And he said, oh, you know, I'd love to be on one of those open top buses. I said, Don't worry, you will be soon, you know, mate. And, and sure enough, he has. And like where he wants it to be, he wants it. You know, it's it's not the 
it's not the money. I mean, you know, he was talking to me, about, uh, you know, he, from about 12, he thought, if I'm going to be a footballer, I'm going to set up a uh, charity. I'm going to try and help people, you know. So he's, he's, not, he's not really particularly interested in the money. But what he wants, he wants to play football, he wants to help people, and he wants to be on an open-top bus with the European Cup. And he got to be, you know, and he's living the dream and loving it. Yeah. I think I think uh, this generation as well, though, they are benefiting greatly from the fact that there was so much pressure on the generations that went before, the golden mm. generation uh, and, and the teams that followed to succeed. And, and it got to the point, I mean, before the World Cup in Russia, <laughs> everyone had just written them off, wouldn't you? Mm. you know, we were going there with no chance. And I, and I think that does help. You know, I've spoken to people who've played for England. I've spoken to friends of people, agents of people who've mm. played for England. And I, I don't understand the, this, the weight of this shirt thing because I, I just always struggle to get my head around it. But mm. they, they did say, look, we feel this pressure, this weight of this shirt to, to perform. We don't like going away with England. And, and it's, I know it's a very, very simple thing, but we, we've said many times before, Gareth Southgate has made it fun again. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's, you know, they're all benefiting. But I, th I think the fact that he worked with them when they were, you know, in, in, mm. in their 16, 17, 18 year old, you know, selves, uh, I think that's really, really come to fruition for the FA. So I, mm. I think perhaps in terms of the long term, when, when the FA is now looking to replace managers. I mean, Gareth Southgate talked in, in the last couple of days, didn't he, that who knows what will happen after 2020. Mm. Um, that, that maybe it is a, a case of, of bringing managers in, letting them work with players and then getting to them while they're young, moulding them, making sure they you know they know who uh, have got the level heads, who they want to work with in the future. And, uh, and then, obviously, you cherry-pick the best of them. Mm. Spoke about pressure there, Tom. We might as well start to pile a little bit of pressure on them. I'll go into all the questions we've had from the, the listeners and the viewers. We'll kick off with Terry Hassett. Are John Stones and Kyle Walker too error-prone for top-level football? Is Harry Maguire a bit overrated? Has the hype machine struck again with England international players? Get stuck into that one. Well, I, I think it's a bit harsh. Um, I, I, I think um, you know, Trippier's had a, a pretty poor year and perhaps, he, um, perhaps all the adulation after the World Cup has kind of convinced him that he can do things that, you know, he can't quite do. John Stones needs to be coached properly. And um, and it's one of those things... Right? He's with Pep Guardiola. He is. But, like, Guardiola seems to have given up with him. And, you know, it's, um, you know he's left him out for the, towards the end of the season. Um, you know, he's supposed to be a ball-playing centre-half, but he makes very, very bad decisions. He's still young. Um, I, I, you know, I, th I think what he needs to be coached to do is, on occasion, hoof it. You know, when it, it's okay. I mean, against against Holland, they set the trap. They, they you know, they, they let them play it out from the back early, and when they got comfortable, pressed them. And you like, it, it, it was transparent. You know, there's a point where you just go, you've got to bang it long, and if you lose possession, you lose possession. And I think what, one of the things, uh, again, back to what I was saying about Southgate, saying about being brave, I think one of the things you need to say to these young players, and be realistic, you know, it's 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 about... You know, it's not about winning with style. It's about winning. You know, we, we, I mean, we've seen that in the last couple of weeks. And if you need to go long, go long. Um, I think Maguire, again, he's another... He's, he's, he may have plateaued in the sense that he's, he's about as good as he's ever going to get. Um, but I think he'd probably benefit from, again, from good coaching. I don't think he uses his body well enough. Um, and, and I think... They, they, I don't think they're overhyped. 
Yeah, maybe I think they are a little bit overhyped. <laughs> but the thing is, you don't have to be absolutely brilliant to be effective. Just play to your strengths. Don't put square pegs in round holes and get people to do what they're good at. And sometimes I don't think these fellas are doing stuff they're good at. Trippier is, is doing stuff he isn't good at. Um, Stones, well, I think he needs to be broken down and start again, really. And, um, and Maguire, I think there's loads of stuff he's good at if he just keeps that. It ties into a question. You, you, you've more than answered Michael Nicholson's question, which was what are the panel's view on playing out from the back after that game on Thursday? From your point of view, Tom, let's, let's isolate that down to the goalkeeper and Jordan Pickford. Mm. What role is he playing in that? And does he need to improve in any particular area in, in terms of his distribution? Yeah, I, th I, think he, I think he needs to improve in every area, really, uh, Jordan Pickford. I, I'm, I'm still uh, not convinced that he's um, that much better than, than Jack Butland. I'm not convinced he's that much better than Tom Heaton. Uh, when he's fit, and I, and I think that's probably a, a you know it shows what what great strength English goalkeepers have got at the moment. But I, I think if you look at a, a De Gea, um, who's who's been the the focal point of goalkeepers for the last five years, and if you look at Allison uh, and and uh, Edison as well, I think Jordan Pickford's a long way off them. I mean, they're they're the, the 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 ball playing goalkeepers, the the sweeper keeper that we've talked so much about in recent years that. I only talked to Petr Cech about uh, last year and he, he said, what is a sweeper-keeper and, and, and yeah. dismissed the whole idea of it. But but I, I, I think it really has now... He's the type who's taken your place, mate. That's what uh, he is. Well, 100%, yeah. And, and, and the game has moved on and, and I, don't see, I don't see Pickford. I still think Pickford has got rash mistakes and errors in him you know I think you, you only have to think back to the Newcastle game and I, I know he I hope he will have learned a lot from the Newcastle game when the crowd were giving him stick but I, I, I do worry that he, he does still have a rush of blood in him um, that he, he needs to iron out I, I mean don't get me wrong he's a very very good goalkeeper but I, I still think he's he's well short of, uh, of of being matched with the likes of the three that I've just mentioned yeah Uber Chelsea have been in, in, in touch I don't know whether that's a he, a she, or a them. Ross Barkley is completely different for England when he's given trust and freedom, he excels. Do we agree with that? I think excels is a bit of a strong word. Um, I'm not quite sure about that. I think uh, one of the things about Barkley always, and I saw him when he was quite a bit of him when he was young, um, he's physically. He's got all, all the ability physically. But he makes bad decisions. Um, he's, he's not... He's not very good in a structured team. You know, he, he likes to do his own thing. So, I mean, at Chelsea, he's given a role to play. And sometimes he can't fulfil that with England. There's a little bit more freedom. So he he, he looks a bit better. But I'm not so sure he's that effective. Um, I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure he's of the class either to play for Chelsea or international football. I think it's been really interesting watching him at Chelsea this season. Um, he, he's... Probably the player who's benefited the most from Maurizio Sarri, actually. Um, I can't think of anyone else who has, has, has come on uh, as much as Barkley at Chelsea. But that whole midfield conundrum that, that Sarri seemed to create with moving Kante into a, a more advanced role, trying to fit Jorginho into the side, I, I did often look at that and, and think, would you be better off just playing with Kante in the holding role and, and Barkley ahead of him and whether you you know even adjust it to go to the diamond. But Sarri seemed so intent on on getting Jorginho to work and obviously Kovacic, who uh, was, a, was a player who I, I struggled to fully get quite what his, his role was within the team over the, the, the season. Um, so I think there is a, a really good player in there in, in Ross Barkley. I just think 
he needs a little bit of help uh, in, in, as you say, in the decision making and making more intelligent decisions mm -hmm. than perhaps he has done in, in the last uh, the last few years of his you, career. You know, he, he lacks a bit of game intelligence, which yeah. is which is very different to real life intelligence. But he just lacks a little bit of it. And and, and I agree. With you. If you're gonna if you're gonna play him at Chelsea in in, in that midfield, you play him in at, at the, the point of a diamond, mm -hmm. give him a certain amount of freedom and flexibility. Yeah, because I mean, he's, you know, he's a good goal scorer when he gets in front of. When he gets in in those areas, you know, he's, he's, he has got so much to offer, and and we, we spoke to him a couple of times in in mix zones after uh, European games this this season, and um, as Tony says, you know, the, the football intelligence and the intelligence off the field, you know, he's he's, he's mm. he, he was a good chat, you know, it was interesting to hear his, nice. his thoughts all about it. So um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, whatever happens at Chelsea this season, whether whether Sarri stays or uh, or they bring somebody else in, uh, it's someone who can get hold of him and, it, and kick him on again. It does seem. To be the best that you know, that Sarri go back to Italy, especially at Juventus, mm. uh, he, he probably would be. He seems suited more to the mentality of the Italian game, you know, being a product of that game. Mm. Um, Trevor Pilkington asked, "How about Southgate as Chelsea manager?" Um, I couldn't see that happening in a million years. I mean. Southgate's in a really good position with England and he's got a good squad and as I say I have reservations about him going forward with them but you know he's, he's earned the chance to do that and, and go into a World Cup I mean at Chelsea I, it, it's a difficult job I mean even now there won't be you know if anyone comes in the, the, the idea of the manager being in charge has been downgraded at Chelsea since Mourinho was sacked for the first time. And there was a great sense of, you know, managers are interchangeable and all that. And it, it worked when they had, you know, top-class players, when they had John Terry, they had Frank Lampard, they had Didier Drogba, they had Petr Cech, you know, leaders in the dressing room. And now you've got a squad that's very, very lopsided. You've got like, um, it, it lacks leadership. They've just lo it lost hazards. You know, you'd have to be pretty desperate to go there. And, um, you know, I'm sure there'll be a queue of desperate managers. <laughs> but, you know, you're going to It's not go desperation when you're being paid eight or nine million pounds a year, three-year contract, <laughs> yeah, and would, you'll probably would you, only stay there for a year. Would you be surprised if Allegri turned up? Um, I, no, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I, I, I don't know if it's the most uh, the most straightforward decision for Chelsea, given the fact they've had uh, it'd be a third successive Italian manager. Um, Conte and Sarri, very different managers in their own way, um, but also sharing the cultural, um, uh, well, everything cultural from from their homeland, of course. But I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Allegri Allegri sort of makes sense in the fact that they. How many other of these great um, managers who've won lots and lots of trophies are there out there for them? You know, Simeone's probably the only other one now that they they haven't gone for. So it does make sense in that respect. But I wonder whether he looks at that job and thinks it's it's a year too early to go to Chelsea, mm -hmm. uh, given the fact we can't sign anyone and we've lost our best player. I mean, uh, Olivier Giroud, I think. Uh, gets a lot of stick and is is much better than he's given credit for. Uh, they've signed him, uh, for, they've taken the option on his contract, and and that's that's purely because they can't bring anybody else in. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are other players. I think Kovacic would probably have been allowed to return to Real Madrid. He, he's not 
pulled up any trees this year, mm. um, and, and yet they have to sign him because the, the deal was you know in place and, and they're allowed to do it. So I, I would I would stay clear. I mean Lampard's the other candidate, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and, and I think even for Lampard, I, I would probably be saying, do you know what? I'll do another year at Derby, and, mm. and, and then it's a better proposition then. I think Hazard actually crystallises Chelsea's problems. You know, he, he joined in uh, 2012, so he was there seven years. In that time, six different managers for more than um, for more than four months. Six of them, and three of them, frankly, didn't fancy Hazard. They certainly didn't build the team around him. No wonder he's gone. You know, anyone in the right mind was gone. I'm surprised he stayed so long. And um, but what they, what they need is some stability, and they need to look at the players they've got and say, all right, how can we build around them? And they haven't done that. And I think that's the root of Chelsea's problem. Yeah, you, you've been Mike across this story, haven't you, Tom? You know, with Hazard, you know, you've spoken about what's going to happen to Gareth Bale. Mm. Um, Paul Pogba, do you expect Real Madrid to keep pursuing him, to add him to what they've already got? Yeah, it's, 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 it's really interesting with Pogba um, because the, the noises coming out of Manchester United um, towards the end of the season was that... They, they were very. Uh, it was very clear that there was a big rebuilding job uh, needed doing. And um, why on earth would they sell Pogba and De Gea um, when they were trying to help Ole Gunnar Solskjaer build a team? Because I mean, you, you, you'd effectively be pulling the rug out from under the manager's carpet when you've just given him. Uh, sorry, from under his feet, <laughs> pulling it out from under his carpet. It probably needs two, two lots of flooring the way things have been going at United this year. But um, yeah, you, you're pulling the, the rug out from underneath him if you sell the two best players. Um, now. That goes so far, doesn't it? Because if a club comes in for you and, and uh, for one of your best players and offers £150 million, pounds, uh, as, as reports in the last few days, then you're going to seriously think about it, and particularly if that player is telling you that, that he wants to go, his agent's uh, trying to engineer the move as well. So I, I wouldn't be, uh, again, I wouldn't be totally surprised if the move came to fruition this summer, but I, I, I do think uh, we're more likely to see uh, them hold on to them for at least another year. I think it's slightly different with De Gea because he's in the last year of his contract and I, I think they might have a look at that again in January and, and, and see how things are going with him. But um, yeah, it'd be an interesting one with Pogba. Okay, I don't want to get too deep into this because I think the subject matter is a bit like sort of intellectual mogadon, but uh, Jonesy asks, VAR, how about giving teams just two VAR appeals each. If successful, they get to keep that appeal, a bit like the cricket system. Yeah, uh, I, I, I still don't know where I stand on VAR. I, I, I never wanted technology to come out. I quite like the goal line technology. I Drives think, me I think that's great, but I, I, I always thought that the human error, whether it was referee, whether it was a player, whether it was a linesman, it's all part of sport. You know, that's part of the package that we, we've grown to love. Um, and I, I just think with VAR, it's not it's not cutting out the argument altogether. Now, I actually went, uh, the Premier League had a few of us down there a couple of weeks before the end of the season and uh, put us through our paces with the, the VAR. And, and it's not as easy as it looks, by the way. It is, you know, I, I was I was adamant about a couple of decisions and uh, we had Mike Dean there, uh, sorry, Mike Riley there telling us that we were completely wrong with the decision we'd come up with. So it's, I bet he hated that, by the way. Yeah, I did. <laughs> it's, it's fraught with, it's fraught with uh, danger. I, um, and and I, I yeah I, I I'm not a fan of it at all. But technology and and we've seen this in other sports, American football, where it's uh, objective decisions. It's the ball over the line, fine. 
when it, when it gets subjective and you're slowing down, you're slowing down what happens to, you know, one two thousandth of a second. It takes away the spirit of the game. It's stupid. And all it's done is move the controversy from being about referees to being about VAR. Just daft. I can't yeah. remember who, someone made a really good point actually in, in the last few days and, and hopefully they'll forgive me for not remembering who it was, but, but you know, it's going to get to the point where a goal is scored and you don't celebrate it immediately, you know, it could be a worldy goal, and you're just, you're waiting, you're looking for the mm. linesman, you're looking for everything, and thinking, well, I might, you know, we're gonna have to wait two or three minutes, yeah. and uh, that, that this, does take away. This tennis. might be a more of a, a, a laws of the game issue rather than, than a VAR issue, but what gets me about it is the, you know, the interpretation of handball, mm. where you've now got, I'm sure, back in academies, back on training grounds, wide players being taught to aim for that, for the, the arm or the hand. Yeah, yeah. That can't be right, can it? It's just daft. Yeah. That's that then. <laughs> uh, right, Vernon Grant. Put simply, is there too much football? Would less not be more, at least when it comes to quality? Big wages don't prevent human beings from exhaustion, as we saw in the Champions League final. Well, I mean, I think there's a whole uh, number of complex issues about... Um, why the Champions League final was was so poor in terms of quality, and and you know what? Out of uh, I mean, Liverpool have won six, which just as reminds everyone. <laughs> but four of them, four of them, the football was absolutely a stinker. And you know what? Doesn't matter. Who cares about quality? If you want entertainment, go to pictures, go to circus. I don't want entertainment. So in that sense, you know, Vernon. I don't care, but uh, so don't, don't worry about the rest. Everyone else who was watching it as a neutral, then you're not worried about. Um... Wait, right, I tell you what. If football was about neutrals, it would have died in the 19th century. You know what? Television well, neutrals, all that, that rot. Rubbish. You know, it's um. And, and, and next, next, you'll be talking about money to me. <laughs> it's um. No, the, 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 the reality is that yes, uh, players play too often, and um, and and, and the. You know, so the levels of fitness there are, it, it does affect them, and you do, you, you are, con you know, we are concerned about that. But I mean, fundamentally, if you ask me the question, is there too much football? I'll say, what, are you mad? I, I, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I think there is. I think we, we reach saturation point. Uh, I think, mm. um, you know, it, it's every night now, um, it, and it's it, if there's not a game on, it, it's. You know, you you guaranteed there's something on the following night, and I I, I do honestly think it's too much. I think, I, I, but it wouldn't be on if people didn't want to watch it. Yeah, I, yeah you're right, you're right. But, I, if, but I mean, look, I can only speak as a, as an individual. Then you know, I mean, look, we 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 probably uh, have to watch more games than most people, and and can pick and choose less because we you know we we we're, we're paid to write about it and talk about it so um we may, maybe that's where my gripe is that uh, all of a sudden those of us who work in the industry are having to watch it seven days a week but i i, I think look i i i would rather watch three quality football matches a week mm. than seven bang average games and i think all too often uh, on a on a monday night or a friday night even games on on a sunday when when you know you're looking at the picks of you, what what in in theory used to be the picks of the games of the weekend there are too many average average games now and and i think that's very disappointing on liverpool uh, got a couple of questions we'll start with uh, gordy if tony could bring two players to the club next season who would he go for i i'm, I'm always a bit reluctant to I, I, 
answer questions like this because you know I'm I'm not really qualified in the sense I'm not a scout and um, but I mean certainly I think if you want to strengthen defence, Delete is uh, he, he looks fantastic. You know it's um, I think the, the we know they need a. a a fourth striker, someone who can fit into that three. And I'm not entirely sure who would actually suit Klopp's system. You know, I run, you know, sort of, uh, I, was, I was thinking about this last night when I saw the questions. I was running through me, me mind and I'm like, you know what, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll be absolutely honest, but I do know they need, um, I, um, I do know they need a striker. And I think, I think the important thing is Liverpool traditionally, when they, when they were doing well, they always, um, they always bought from a position of strength when they were at the top. They, they buy generally one real quality player. And sometimes you'd be like, why have they bought him? You know, it's not a position where they need it. And then a, a couple of sort of up and coming players. And I think that's what they'll try and do this season. I think they'll try and buy one top class player and, and a couple of what seems in, the, in the, 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 the sort of short term squad players who will you know be given the chance to grow and and it's when when Fenway Sports Group came in you know sort of nine years ago now um, they come up with this idea that they thought they were cleverer than everyone else they thought they could find talent cheaper talents and um, and and the grow and the fact is they come into bad teams these players and then they never really developed the funny thing is that theory might work now you know, so you, you, you buy people with potential because they'll come into a good team. You don't have to throw them in immediately and they can develop. But there is a point, isn't there, about the nature of the team. The one thing that, that struck me very much in the, in the aftermath of that final was the almost like collective identity that the players had. Mm. They obviously played for Klopp. Russ Murdis sort of touches on that where he says, you know, where do you think the team needs to strengthen without destroying the chemistry of that team? I mean, I think clearly they need a striker. Um, I mean, do they need a midfielder? Perhaps because. But do they need people of a certain type or character? Yeah, I, th I think they do. I mean, I think you know there is great chemistry in the squad, but if you don't want to, I mean, the thing about football is if you don't move forwards, you're going backwards. You never stand still. So unless they, they do something, and, and it's up to Klopp. I mean, you, you look at the chemistry in the squad. I mean, Shaqiri come in this year and, you know, he's not the greatest for chemistry. Mm -hmm. um, and it hasn't really worked. Um, so I'm sure that, 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 you know, there's still a great feeling of togetherness despite that. And I, I, I think if, if you're saying, don't bring people in because it might disrupt the chemistry, what you're saying is, right, we're going to slide backwards. Mm. For you, Tom, um, one from uh, Stefan Adams. Do you think that Virgil van Dijk is the best defender the Premier League has seen? Now, I know we're in an, he's been talked of already as a Ballon d'Or. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, no, I, I don't think he is. I, I think he could well be considered that in, in a few years' time, but I think it'd be hugely disrespectful to uh, the likes of Rio Ferdinand, uh, to John Terry, when, when you consider the amount of trophies. Uh, they won year after year after year. Um, Van Dijk has, has been at Liverpool for a year and a half now. He's done exceptionally well, um, and, and he, he could be uh, he could be likened alongside those players in four or five years' time. Yeah. No no doubt at all. Um, but I, I think you know even even the likes of Ricardo Carvalho. You know I look back to, to what he did at Chelsea, um, and 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 the the trophies that he helped them win, and and the 
quality of that team year after Tony year. Adams. To absolutely. I mean, you know, Saul Campbell, you, you, there, mm. are, there have been so many uh, great... I mean, Nemanja Vidic as well, mm. Yap Stam. Uh, Stam was part of the United team that won three yeah, yeah. three uh, titles on the trot. You know, I think I think we live in a day and age, don't we, where everything... The, the last game we saw was the best one and mm. uh, the, the last, you know, Messi's the greatest one game, but then Ronaldo's the greatest the week after. So I, I, I think I think Van Dijk, uh, he's, 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 he's on the right path towards it. He's got a good, a good guy, a good man though, isn't he? Great oh, character tremendous. when we were talking about yeah, that. Yeah. Um, G asks, could Manchester City have gone further in the Champions League had they not been pushed to the last day of the season in the Premier League by Liverpool? Were they spinning one too many plates for too long? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think... Um, I think they were really unlucky, frankly, in the Champions League. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's. Um, I, I think Tottenham were extremely fortunate to get past them. I think uh, Pochettino got his tactics wrong in, in both games. And um, and, and, and City, I, even now looking back, I can't see how they, they, they didn't go through. I mean, they've got the squad to compete on four fronts. So, um, so no, I, I, I think it's just... They, they just had a, a little bit of luck, bad luck in those games, mm. and um, I think it's simply down to that. And um, I think, if anything, Liverpool pushing them all the way actually helped them, kept them focused. Yeah, and um, mm. you know, and, and I think, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think they're a really good side. I think that the point you just make, Tony, about the depth of the uh, the City squad—that's what Liverpool need to do this yeah, summer. Exactly. You, know, you, you need to have those two players for every single position. Mm. That if somebody's out, you've got a world-class mm. backup coming in. Yeah, and also it does seem that City will have the strategic aim of winning the Champions League next year. If they're in it. <laughs> um, and seriously, yeah, seriously. Yeah. UEFA are very keen to um, make, not an example, but, but to they think that um, City are actually challenging their very existence and they're aware that they're going to war, not with a football club, but with a sovereign nation in Abu Dhabi. And uh, I, I think... Um, I think it's bound to have an effect on the um, on the club next year on on the playing sides of it because this is going to get very very ugly. Looking forward, um, Dan asks: Hudson Odoi, Madison, and Wan Bissaka were some of the English breakouts in the Premier League this season. Who will be some of the new English stars next season? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, look, I, I, I put my derby bias on with this one and, and uh, I think Mason Mount, uh, you know, only because obviously working at other games, I only saw him three or four times this year but yeah. um, and, and the, the last of which was the playoff final and he, he, he didn't have a, a particularly good game but I, th I think he's a real prospect and, and you know, very excited to uh, to see if he goes he's got, to a He's got every side. chance at Chelsea. Well, he has, I mean, given, given the, the transfer ban, um, I think... I think it's already been recorded that he's going to go on the pre-season tour. Mm. Um, so if he can make a, a bit of an impact there, um, I just hope. I hope if he does go on the pre-season tour and if he is kept within the Chelsea squad, that he's he's given a chance by uh, by whoever is the manager next year because he's he's a great player. And the other one, uh, of course, who, who Chelsea had on loan at Derby is uh, Fikayo Tomori, mm. the, the central defender, who I, I think 
potentially could be even better than Mount. Because he's gone under the radar a bit. He has, he has. Mount and Wilson sort of uh, took all the plaudits because, you know, the creative players often do mm. more so than defenders. But uh, I, I think he's got a, a huge chance of having a very successful future in the uh, in the game. Um, I, I, the, the one, I mean, it's probably it's probably fairly obvious to, to pick Phil Foden out as well. But just to, to go back to the 21s, you know, having watched him play with them I, I really do hope that and I'm sure Pep Guardiola will give him even more game time this yeah, year yeah, but um, he, he when he does get that run he will you'll just see him it won't just be another level he's kicking on to it'll be another three or four what about Ryan Brewster at Liverpool I know he had a you know poorly timed a badly timed injury mm. has he got potential to actually make that step up yeah I think the um the, the you'll see more playing time next year I think he's uh He's got a lot about him, and they really like him. So yeah, I think so. But I, I do think the, uh, the the people were likely to see uh, making a big impact are the Chelsea players who've been out on loan. Mm. You know, and then the, the kid who was on loan at Wigan as well, good player, yeah. James. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, let's look at a few wider issues. Um, Michael Wanderley, your opinion on the Rooney Rule, please. Do you think it will be beneficial, or will clubs just interview? Barmaid candidates on a, to just to fill the quota, you know, as you know that every football league club now has to have yeah. at least one black and ethnic minority candidate for a manager's job. Yeah, I'm, I have to say I'm I'm not a, a huge fan of the Rooney Rule um, because I, I I think every club should have the best person for the job and it shouldn't matter it's it should be regardless of the colour of your skin if you're the best candidate for the job, you should get it. But that's easy for me to say as, as uh, you know, a, a white person who's never had to come up. Um, well, at least I, I don't know that I've come up against uh, uh, or been held back because of the colour of my skin, which uh, a lot of BAME candidates would say they have been. I think more importantly for me, I'd, I'd like to see more... Uh, people from uh, ethnic minorities given a, a chance to get onto the coaching pathway uh, I I earlier. I, I think that's the problem. I, I think I think there's a lot of having spoken to to um, uh, black and mixed race footballers about this. Uh, I, I think they uh, a lot of them feel that there's no point in them trying to mm. do their badges because uh, they they won't get the opportunities. But I, I think the more and more candidates we see coming through the more it will push it in that direction. But it has to be pushed from the boardroom downwards, doesn't it? So you look at someone... I think it has to be pushed from the Well, I think it's both up. sides. Because you've got someone like Les Ferdinand who's working with Chris Ramsey, who, you know, great that he was, he was uh, honoured in the New Year's... Uh, sorry, in the um, uh, Queen's Birthday Honours list. They are being proactive, but they're picking coaches on, on merit, but they are, you know, they've got three or four exceptionally good uh, black and ethnic minority coaches working in their academy because they were the best people for the job. The difference was they had the opportunity to shine in an interview. Well, I, I think that's. Well, I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding of the Rooney Rule. People think it's positive discrimination. It's not. The reality is there is a uh, there is an instinctive and ingrained um, sort of mentality where people don't think black and minority candidates. Uh, Actually, they, they don't think about them. So, I mean, the lesson of American football we've seen is that when they actually interviewed people, they found out, wow, this fella's great. And all of a sudden, we saw a load of black coaches coming through. And it wasn't that they were um, they were given a leg up. It's they were they were the best man for the job. So, I, I think it's it, it's a really good thing because what it does is it it confronts the traditional white privilege that 
means that, you know, you don't even think of minority candidates as, as potential candidates. And, um, and the, the best men from the job will still get it. But we'll find, shockingly, that more black people are actually the best man for the job. Mm. Peter Newton asks, should we give British coaches more praise? Yeah, I think I think British coaches are, are starting to get the recognition uh, they deserve. We didn't mention Steve Holland earlier when uh, we were talking about Gareth Southgate mm. and the England role. I think that, uh, sorry, the Chelsea role. I think that would be one of the the main reasons Gareth Southgate would be under consideration for it was because of the the package with Steve Holland, who's who's done mm. uh, so very well. Um, I think I think there's still an argument that that uh, British coaches aren't, aren't given as much praise as as, uh, as foreign coaches, and you only have to look at the uh, uh, the, the jobs that the uh, the top six jobs in the country, uh, you know, tend to go to overseas managers. Um, I think I know again you, you've spoken to Sean Dyche mm. recently, haven't you? And I I, I I do think that perhaps Sean Dyche will have to go abroad um, as his next move to prove that he has got what it takes to manage a club uh, in the European positions. And I, and I think that's a real shame because he's what he's done at Burnley has, has proved that he deserves that chance. But um, I, I, I understand the question, but I think I think more and more the recognition is there these days. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, someone like Chris Wilder's done fantastically yeah. well to yeah. take Sheffield United up, mm. which ties into a question from Trevor Bishop. Who will do better in the Premier League, Villa, Norwich or Sheffield United? Well, that, that that's a very interesting question, and um, I, I, I've got to say, I think, I think probably Sheffield United will do the best. But I think all three teams need to spend some money, and they need to get um, need to get a little bit more quality than they've got at the moment. I think it's going to be it'll be a difficult year for them. But I mean, all of them can you know they can look at that league and they can look at the likes of Newcastle and Southampton and think to themselves. You know, we've got a chance of staying up. Mm, I, th I think Villa will, uh, will, will have the best chance, actually. I think uh, what you'll see from Sheffield United is a very Burnley-esque approach. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I, think, I think Chris Wilde has made that fairly clear that that would, that would be the route he wants to go down with a, a core of English players. But I just think Villa uh, are, are perhaps the, f the most advanced team uh, in terms of the players they've got. I, I say that without having seen a great deal of, of Norwich, if, uh, if I'm being totally honest. But I, mm. I think in Grealish as well, they've, they've got a player who... Uh, if if they can make one or two additions, if uh, Tyrone Mings gets done, I think he'll be he'll be a, a, a good permanent addition to the squad as well. Mm. Someone who, who knows the Premier League already, and they've they've got they've got the core in there. I think that that can really help them establish themselves this year. And crucially, they've got plenty of money. Their owners are a very very wealthy man, so uh, that will help greatly this summer. <laughs> yeah. Christian Pearsall was always there and um, and you know I always think that's a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> uh, Rob Smythe. Talking of disasters waiting to happen, what is going to happen at Newcastle? <laughs> no news on Rafa, no news on a takeover. Could next season be lurching towards disaster? I, I think it will. Um, you know, you've, we've got to the end of the month um, with Rafa and there's been no contact yet. Well, as of Friday, there's been no contact. Might have happened over, over the weekend, but um, I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised if it does. Um, so, if, if, you know, if Mike Ashley wants it to go this way, then Rafa will, will walk. And I think he most likely ends up somewhere in China because there's no jobs available. And that'd be, that'd be terrible for Newcastle. So, um, that'd be great for Rafa Benitez, isn't uh, it? No, it's Apart a, from well, obviously a shed full of money. Well, he's, he's got a history of taking bad jobs, hasn't he? 
you know, he's taken the wrong jobs. Good manager, wrong jobs. He's done us all through his career. And I'm, you know, I'm a huge admirer of the man. But, you know, bad decisions, you know, the best thing he could do is if he leaves Newcastle, sit tight. There'll be a good job in the autumn. There'll be a job in the Premier League, I'm sure. But, you know, it's a, he can't help himself. He wants to work. Mm. It always surprises me with uh, with takeovers when when it's so public like this. I, I, that's when you know something's wrong. Mm. If it, if if things were going along swimmingly, there would be these deals happen at a subterranean level, don't yeah. they? You know, yeah. and then suddenly, bang, it's yeah. there. Well, yeah. th th this guy, this guy was certain, uh, making an offer for Liverpool, and he couldn't get together the twenty five million to you know basically to show that he, he, he was serious. So I can't see it happening in Newcastle. I, I think, um, certainly, I don't think Rafa sees it happening. And you do know him well. Uh, final question then, and it's from Ginny Lewis. What is the future for women's football? How important is this World Cup? Uh, I think like, like every World Cup, it, it can be hugely important. I mean, look at what the World Cup did for the, the men's team last year in terms of their popularity. And if, uh, if we see the women have a good run and, and play some exciting football and, and uh, capture the imagination of, uh, of the nation, then I, I, I think it will take it to that, that next level. I mean, I think women's football, uh, that we've seen the money now start to trickle into the game, which shows how, uh, how much it's moving forward because you know, that, that's only going to happen if, if there's a, an amount of marketability there. Um, but I really do think if the, the England team now can go on and, and maybe reach the semi-finals or, or maybe even the final and go on to win, it then you look at what it did to the the game in America where it's it's the most popular sport for children I think with young girls uh, getting involved in football when after they'd won the World Cup I, I think it, it, it could be huge yeah yeah I do sense a real sense of momentum here I, I, th I think um, regardless of the World Cup we're, we're seeing investment in the women's game and I think that's the key to it going forward mm. and while people are going to put some money into it then it's going to be successful well, we'll be back early next month with a look at the Women's World Cup and also all the transfer news and views. For the time being, thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.